Good to see you. Thanks, Bethany. How are you all doing? Phenomenal. That's great. Okay, well, tonight is, a, is our last week in the book of Proverbs. It's only taking us 41 weeks, so it hasn't been that bad. Uh, but we've, we've taken time to just to really go through as, as, as best we can to cover all of the book of Proverbs. We, I think we've covered probably 90 to 95% of the verses in the book of Proverbs in this study. And the book of Proverbs has thrown out some amazing themes, um, life-changing themes, challenging themes, justice and injustice, rich and poor divides, uh, faith, that's what we're going to be tackling tonight, relationships, we did a whole series entitled The Birds and the Bees, Um, we looked at wisdom and what wisdom's all about and understanding and knowledge and learning and growing and all these great themes that the the Bible throws out in the book of Proverbs. I want to encourage you if you've if there's, if there's specific things you want to recap on or if you missed uh, in, in this teaching time, I want to encourage you to go onto the website and, and download um, the messages that are available there. Also, as a resource, make sure you make the most of that because every week, uh, Mike, where's Mike? Mike is here. I know he's here somewhere. Where, where is he? He's in, he's in his office. He's in his office making MP3s. Every week, Mark does a whole, sorry, Mike does a whole lot of hard work preparing these uh, recordings uh, for the web, and they, they go out around the world. Every month, we have 3,000 downloads. About half of them are people signing up for podcasts. So every week, every, from then on, they get that. So the cumulative effect is there's probably tens of thousands of people all over the world who listen to these messages, and that's what an honor uh, to have so that while there's a, the crowd that gather each week, there's, there's also a crowd that you don't see that who are listening in. Um, and uh, I guess there have been benefits from that. Every so often I get an email from people who are listening from different parts of the world saying, you know, how, what they're hearing affects their lives and so on. But make the most of the resource, you know, plug in, listen as you're going through the week. I, someone once told me, make your car a college. So what I do is when I'm driving around, as I do, as I do, uh, you know, visiting places or speaking different places. I've got my, my iPhones full of MP3s that I've downloaded from other people's teaching. So I get a chance to listen and glean and to grow. Um, so I want to encourage you with that. Well, happy Mother's Day, mums. Good to see you. Give us a wave again, mums. Who are you all? Look at these amazing people. <laughs> amazing people. Thank you for all you do. This morning I did a, a teaching on mums. that looked at four mums who changed the world. And uh, if, if you weren't there this morning, I know some of you weren't, get a chance to um, download that and listen to it. Okay, well tonight my title is Living by Faith, and this is the last message in the book of Proverbs. One day there was a school teacher who was trying to persuade her kids in her class that there wasn't a God. So she got one of the kids, Tommy, to uh, go outside. She said, Tommy, I want you to stand outside and... Um, so he said, look, 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 at, look out the window. And Tommy looked out the window and he said, he said, do you see the tree? And Tommy said, yeah, I see the tree. He said, do you see the grass? Tommy looked around and said, yeah, I see the grass. Tommy, and she said, now go outside and look up into the sky and sit, tell me what you can see. So Tommy went outside, looked up, came back in and said, miss, I saw nothing. And the teacher said, exactly. Did you see God? And he said, no, I don't see God. He said, exactly my point. You don't see God because he's not there. He doesn't exist. A little girl at this point piped up and said, Miss, can I also ask Tommy some questions? And I said, sure. I said, Tommy, um, do you see out the window that tree? 
I said, yeah, I see the tree. I said, uh, do you see the grass? I said, yeah, I see the grass. I said, do you see the teacher? I said, yeah, I see the teacher. I said, do you see the teacher's brain? <laughs> no, I don't see the teacher's brain. Well, based on what you've heard and learned today, the teacher has no brain. <laughs> she made her point. You know what? I, I, I believe there's an inclination with every human being to have faith. Someone once said the worst moment for an atheist is when he's really thankful and has no one to thank. <laughs> Gandhi said, it amazes me to find an intelligent person who fights against something that he does not believe exists. Tom Stoppard said, atheism is a crutch for those who cannot bear the reality of God. Napoleon Bonaparte said, you think you are too intelligent to believe in God? I'm not like you. And C.S. Lewis said, a creature revolting against a creator is revolting against the source of his own powers, including even his power to revolt. It's like the scent of a flower trying to destroy the flower. In the closing days of the Romanian Revolution, when that God-hating dictator had been assassinated, Ceausescu had been assassinated, he for years had kept Romania under the thumb, trying to persuade the Romanians that there was no God. Amongst other things he did, one of the things he did is he removed Christianity and any mention to God from education, from schooling, from higher education. He eradicated as best he could faith in God. Ceausescu had been assassinated. The revolution was coming to its end. And there was a fresh hope and an expectation among the Romanian people. One missionary talks about those days in the, that, in the, the latter days of the revolution. <clears throat> and he said they were walking through the streets and people were chanting and cheering and shouting, Existe Dumenez, Existe Dumenez, which means there is a God, there is a God. There was an eruption of faith. What had been suppressed for years was now breaking out. I really believe one of the things that comes naturally to us, just as, as breathing does, is the ability to have faith. And I believe this is our primary way of engaging with God the Eternal, with God, our Creator, our ability to have faith. Father, we pray tonight as we turn to the Bible, as we look specifically in the book of Proverbs, God, I pray that we would hear things tonight that would help us. I pray for each one of us here tonight. I, I realize there's a, a real gathering of different people from different backgrounds and different experiences. God, some have uh, never been at church before. Some, this is the first time at church for years. Others are here every week. Each one of us is in a different place with you. I pray tonight, God, you'd help me to speak and you'd help us to hear things that would potentially have profound impact in the deepest areas of our lives. Help us, God, tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me define for you what faith is. Book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 5. Famous verse, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your understanding. Let's read that together. One, two, three. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your understanding. 
Here makes, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that faith is the language of the heart, not primarily of the mind. It doesn't mean that, as, <clears throat> that we advocate having blind faith or having faith that is kind of ignoring the facts. That's not, that's not credible, that's not authentic, and that's shallow. We're not advocating that. I, see, I believe that our faith stands to reason. I really do believe that. My, my believing doesn't come from me figuring it all out, but when I look at it with my mind, it also makes sense. It's like, it makes sense for me to be married to my wife, but I didn't get married to her because I could figure it all out. I got married to her because my heart said yes. So we make the commitment to God based on faith, which is the language of the heart, but it also makes intelligent sense as well. And I would encourage you not to shelve that, but answer the questions you've got and go research the facts and go look into it. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your understanding. Kotvos said, we may seek God with our intellect, but we can only find him with our heart. You see, as I said, faith is the language of the heart. Now, hope, however, is the language of the mind. We can be hope-filled and optimistic, and that's good. That's positive. That's a good thing, but it's different to faith. Hope is, yeah, I think God likes me. I think God's there. I hope God hears my prayers. I hope things will turn out well in the future. However, faith is an entirely different thing. Faith is a knowing in the heart. It's a, mm-hmm, it's a, it's a knowing in your knower. You all know what that means. It's hard to define, but we know what that means. It's a gut feeling. We describe things like gut feelings. That's what faith is. It's in the depth of our being. Optimism and hope is good, but it's different to faith. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a, desired, uh, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, we all know what that's like. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, after the 15th girl you asked out, you understand what hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's like, <sighs> again, pick yourself up. Keep going, man. Keep going. You know who you are. Um, I did the Birds and the Beasts series early in the year. You need to get that one. It really help you. Hope deferred makes your heart sick. It's that knock back after knock, or it's praying those prayers and they never get answers. It's, it's time after time hoping and expecting, but nothing materializing. Now, hope is the language of the minds, but faith is the language of the heart. Now, people get confused when they, th- when they think their hope is faith. People get confused. People get disillusioned, as the Bible says. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. People get disillusioned with gods because they thought hope was faith and faith was hope. They muddled them up. And what they did was they hoped for things. They were optimistic about certain things. And that's good and that's admirable and there's nothing wrong with that. But they based everything on that rather than having a depth of faith that's more than just a hope. Faith is a knowing you see, okay, let me, let me illustrate this for you further. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, puts these two things together. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, so here the Bible describes faith, and it talks about it being a, a, an assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. So faith is a con- 
an assurance and a conviction. In fact, the Greek words used in this verse for faith is the Greek word pistos, which means a firm persuasion. You know, it's not just hopefulness. It's not uh, optimism. It's a firm persuasion of the heart. There's a certainty. There's a knowing about it. There's an absoluteness about it. There's a, I can step out and this will be solid. It's not hopeful. It's not wishy-washy. But hope is good. The Bible says that faith is the assurance of things we hope for. It's gone from the mind to the heart. It's gone from, I hope God's there, to, I know he's there. It's gone from, I hope God would heal me, to, I know God's going to heal me. It's gone from, I hope God will provide, to, it's done. He's provided. It's a knowing. It's a a solidness. And when you've got that, then you're going to see results. Let me help illustrate this. I need, a, uh, I need an Owen. Let's hear for Owen Lima as he comes up to... Thanks for volunteering, Owen. Yeah, you stand here, man. Okay, and uh, I need another volunteer, Bethany. Let's hear for Bethany. Thank you very much. You can, you can come up here. Bethany, could you find a Bible somewhere? Anyone got a Bible? This is church, folks. Remember church? Bibles? There's this a Bible. Okay, there's a Bible. Fantastic. Bethany, you come up here. Okay, Owen is Hope. Say hi, Hope. Hi, Hope. Say, Hope, say hi to the congregation. Hi, congregation. Okay. And Bethany, could you hold the Bible high above Hope's head and uh, high enough so he can't reach it? So you reach up, Hope. Now listen, Hope, what happens is we see the promises of God and we think, oh, I'd like that to happen for me. Oh, I'd like to think there's a God there. Oh, I'd love to get to heaven. Ooh, wouldn't it be nice if God healed me? Or, wow, God could maybe provide something for me. So hope is hopeful. Be hopeful, hope. Be optimistic. Be more hopeful. Be even more optimistic. Okay. Now, hope never lays hold of the things it's hoping for. It's just optimism. But the Bible says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Okay? Say hi to faith. Faith has arrived. Now what faith does is faith, this is where it gets really dangerous, faith builds on hope and lays hold of the promises. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, the promises, let's see for Bethany. Thank you very much, Bethany. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, what's taking place here is what hoped, hoped for, hope couldn't get, but faith laid hold of it. The Bible says, faith is the assurance of things hoped <laughs> Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Okay. So what do we learn from this? <laughs> Thanks, Emily. Cheers. Let's hear from Emily who, who gave us the Bible. Yay. <laughs> okay, no, no, you're done. Let's hear for hope. Yay. So you see, hope tried to get hold of things, but hope never could grasp, because it's of the minds. And it's good, it's positive, at least it got its attention. But the life change comes when you have faith, and faith is a conviction. It's a language of the heart. It goes deep, and it it lays hold. It makes real the invisible. 
into the visible realm. <clears throat> and when the Bible's talking about faith, that's what it's talking about. You see, would you lay your life down on the fact that you're saved and going to heaven? Would you lay your life down on that? Can I say something? I would. I absolutely would. Would I lay my life down on a fact that I am saved, I'm forgiven for my sins, I'm going to heaven? Yes, I would. Yes, I would. I'd lay everything in that. It's not hope. It's gone beyond that. There's a knowing. And that change took place when I was 15. I was, I believe God was there before then, but a transaction took place. I, I had faith in that moment. I, I was changed forever. Do I sometimes struggle? Do I sometimes doubt in my head? Yeah, sure. But faith isn't in my head. Faith is in my heart. In my knower, I know God has accepted me. Now, am I rock solid certain that, okay, let's take another example. Um, if, I, if I caught the flu next week, am I totally certain I will be healed of that flu? Would I lay my life down on the reality that I'll be healed of that flu. Okay, I'm not in that situation just now, so it's hard for me to say, but might not be the same conviction. Okay, I'd be hopeful that I could be healed of the flu if someone prayed for me. And there are times when I'm praying for the sick where all of a sudden it goes from hope to faith. And I know they're going to be healed and miracles take place. But quite often we're stepping out on things like... We're totally stepping out in things that are only hopes rather than faith. When miracles take place, they take place because faith is present, not just hope. It's gone beyond that. When someone is totally saved and going to heaven, it's not just that they hope that God's there and He hears their prayers, and that's what most of Britain is, hoping. But faith comes and it takes up residence in the heart, and there's a knowing that God is there to the point where you could step out and it, I mean, you would let, you'd base your life on it. You were totally, 100% committed to that truth. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And when that assurance is there, people get healed. When that assurance is there, people die and go to heaven. When that assurance is there, provision comes. You know, when, another example, when I was when we, as a team, were looking for a new building for the church, you know, we, we looked at many buildings. I think it's, it's, good to, it's good to not just sit around waiting for a building to drop out of heaven. I don't think that's the faith kind of way. Faith is proactive. So we believed that God wanted us to have a building. So we just said, Lord, I pray, provide. But we also went looking. We went on websites. We got in touch with commercial uh, estate agents. We went to view different places. <coughs> and do you know what? There were many places we thought, whew, I hope to get this one. This would be really nice. This would suit us just fine, right? In fact, we even negotiate. We, 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 got, we talked to Standard Life about a, a three-acre plot just around the corner here that has a fantastic building on it. It would see a 1,000 people. We, we, made, we started negotiations. I met the head guy. I said, would you give us it for a greatly reduced price? He said, no. And then, <laughs> but you know what? We, we, it wasn't like we were, we were just messing around. We were seriously pushing the doors. We were looking at finance options. We were really going for it. But they were all hope. Would I have laid my life down on the reality that we're going to get the building? No. Now, when the Gorgie building came along, that was different. That was different. 
Initially, I thought, oh. But then I thought, yes. And based on that, I knew that was our building and that God would provide every penny we needed, as he has done. It went from being hopefulness to faith. Now, could I have made such a huge financial investment based on a hope? I think we've got the right building. (laughs) No, I would have had not the same confidence. But when I knew this was of God, I had faith. Living by faith is essential. Okay, let me just give you another example. In Jesus' life, this is in Matthew 8, verse 5 to 10. This is when a centurion comes to Jesus. Um, And this is a very significant passage. I I love this passage. It says, "When When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed. Now, let me just stop there for a moment. Let's paint the picture here. Here's a Roman centurion. Now, Roman centurions were the elite of society. Bear in mind that the Jewish people were under the oppression of the Romans. And the Romans, they, they were the admired people. They were the people who the Jews uh, were subjugated to. But a Roman centurion was someone of high rank in that whole setup. Now listen, there are many times that people came to Jesus for healings. There are a few times when people came to Jesus on behalf of someone else. But there was only one time when someone came to Jesus on behalf of their slave. And here it is, a Roman centurion. So here's a Roman, the elite of society, bowing before a Jewish nobody. Jesus wasn't even a priest. Jesus wasn't even someone of standing in society. Jesus was a Jewish nobody as far as the Romans were concerned. And here's a Roman somebody bowing before a Jewish nobody to ask humbly that Jesus would heal a servant. That's humility. My servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. So the centurion understood I am under Caesar's authority and I've got soldiers at my commands. I say to one, go, and he goes, and I say to another, come, and he comes, and I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was astonished. And he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. So here's the centurion. The centurion understood the principle of authority, that centurion was underneath Caesar's authority, and because he was underneath authority, all he needed to do was say, you do this, and people would do it, and you do that, and people would do it. Because he had authority, because he had the backing of Rome. Now he was becoming before Jesus, and he bows the knee to Jesus, and he says, all you need to do is say the word, and my servant will be healed, because the centurion understood that Jesus had the backing of God. He had the backing of heaven, and his words carried divine authority. The centurion knew. He didn't hope. He knew. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. He didn't say, if you say the word, it might work and my servant might get better. He said, say the words and my servant will be healed. This was faith. This wasn't hopefulness. This wasn't optimism. This was a guy putting all his eggs in one basket and saying, you're my only hope and you just say the words. I know you have authority. Your words will come true. You will make it happen. So there's a difference between faith and hope. 
Where does faith come from? Well, the word is the source of faith. Proverbs 16, 20, he who gives attention to the words will find goods and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Notice how it's got the word and trust in the same passage. The centurion said, just say the words and my servant will be healed. The centurion would have utter conviction, utter faith that the miracle would take place when Jesus spoke the word. Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6, every word from God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will prove you and you'll be proved a liar. And Romans chapter 10, verse 17 famously says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You see, the Bible here tells us that faith can come. This is good news. Did you know that the faith you have can increase? Your faith in God can grow. You might feel weak in your faith, but that faith can grow. It can increase. How can that faith increase? Well, according to the Bible, it says faith comes by hearing. When the truth of God penetrates your soul, when you hear his word firsthand into your life, faith will arise. Now, you can be reading that I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe Scripture. The Bible says it's it's divinely inspired. But do you know you can even be reading the Scripture, and it's, it's just like reading a textbook, and it doesn't penetrate your heart? It could fill your head with stuff, but it doesn't penetrate your heart. It's when the truths that you have heard go from here to here, then it goes from hopefulness to faith. It goes from optimism to conviction. You know that you know that you know. How many, how many people have had that experience? You're reading the Bible, <coughs> and all of a sudden, the words of that book jump out the page and, oh, and grip you. And they grip you so deep. And it's, it's like they've come alive to you. It's gone from being information and words on a page to being a revelation. It's gone from just being uh, thoughts about God to being God now is speaking directly to me. And that is where faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. You know, that, that, that verse, Romans chapter 10, is speaking specifically not just about random words of God, but a specific message. And that specific message is called the gospel. Let me just quickly tell you that message. Here's the gospel. And the Bible says if you believe this, you will go to heaven for eternity. Okay, so... Listen to this and see if you believe this. Jesus is God's son. God, the Bible teaches, became a man. And Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. And at the end of his life, having taught great things and healed the sick and done brilliant things, at the end of his life, he hung and died on a cross. He was the sinless one. And the Bible teaches he died on behalf of us, you and me, sinners. As he shed his blood, he did it so that you could be forgiven. He was the once and for all sacrifice for all humanity. He was the only one who could pay the price because he was the only one who himself was in our predicament of sin. On the third day, Jesus rose again. And the Bible teaches that if you will turn from your sin, will put your faith in Jesus, true faith, not hope, but total faith in the one who died and rose again for you. The Bible says you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. 
And it's in the context of that the Bible says, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. You know, if you believe that message, and I don't just mean mentally assent to it, but if it's, if it's touched you in the deepest area of your life, you're saved. And let me also make a point. If you truly believe that message and keep living the way you used to, you haven't really believed that message. If you truly believe in what God did for you 2,000 years ago, the profound impact of that will revolutionize your life more than anything else. It won't just be like, oh, that's interesting. Because Britain, if you ask Britain, if you survey Britain and you say, did Jesus come and die on a cross and rise again? Yes. It's a tradition. They've grown up with it. They know those statements, those order of events. But has the profoundness of what he did 2,000 years ago and who's alive now and he wants to be part of your life right here and now, has the profoundness of that impact? Has has the penny dropped from hopefulness to reality of faith? Tragically for many of Britain, to go on living in the religiousness with no authentic connection with God. You can have true faith. You can really believe in the Savior. I mean, you can, and faith that when it comes to the end of your life, you have no concern about death because the reality of faith is resident in your spirit, in your heart, you believe God. So this centurion said, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. That word from Jesus was all he needed. But let me say, it wasn't just the word, it was the person who spoke the word that made the difference. The centurion wasn't just having faith in a word. It was having a faith in the gods of the words that made the difference. You see, before he said, just speak the word, he, all, he also said, he went on to say, I too am a man under authority. He was making a point about who Jesus was. For him, it wasn't just Jesus guru, speak the word, my servant will be healed. It was Jesus, I know who you are. You are gods in the flesh. You have the backing of heaven. Therefore, as who you are, You speak the words, and that will have results. It's not just faith in a a random word or a positive confession. It's faith in the gods who speak such words. Um, 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, Paul says, For I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him in that day. Paul's faith was based on a knowing whom he had believed in you know God, then it's not going to be hard for you to have faith. A.W. Tozer said, the Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate, satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into Him, that they may delight in His presence and may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God Himself in the core, in the center of their hearts. It's not just that we're religious people who read a book and mentally assent to certain bits of information, is that we, through the words of God, in our hearts, have connected with God himself. And that's the power to change. He is the source of life and miracles and life change. He is the revolution that can take place in our lives. What are the results of us having faith? We talked about how faith comes. Well, what are the results of us having faith? Listen to this, Proverbs 29, 25. Listen to these verses. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Read that with me. But he, okay, read that with me. What part of, read that with me, did you not understand? Okay, 
One, two, three. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Isn't that awesome? He who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. You know that word exalted in the Hebrew language is the, is, is the word sargab, which means to be lofty, inaccessible, to be safe, to be set on high, to be too high to capture. That's an awesome thought. He who trusts in the Lord will be raised up on high. He who trusts in the Lord will be too high to capture. He who trusts in the Lord will be inaccessible. He who trusts in the Lord will be lofty. I believe the moment you have authentic faith in God, something morally takes place in your life. You get lifted from here, spiritually speaking, to a safe plane in God. It's called justification. And it's an amazing truth. It's an amazing truth. When you have faith, you get lifted in the inside to a new place in God. You're justified. Listen to this verse. You're made righteous. Genesis 15, 4-6. This is a phenomenal verse. This is God speaking to a man called Abraham, and he makes him a promise and says, a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Now, Abraham had no kids. His wife was barren, and they were old codgers. They were unable to have kids, although he liked trying. God promised him and said, a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside. God took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Wow. God was, painting, God was helping Abraham visualize the reality of the promise that God had given him. God promised Abraham that he would have an offspring. And he, as you read on, the history tells us that Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. And they became the tribes of what became known the Israelites. God fulfilled his promise. And God indeed made them as numerous as the stars in the sky. Amazing. Now, isn't it amazing? Here's this old man. Everything was stacked against him. Everything was stacked against him. He had years of being unable to have children. He had hope deferred, making the heart sick. And yet, here he was, God promising him again, you would have a child. And it says, look up into the heavens. It wasn't just going to have one child. Look up in the heavens. That's how many your offspring are going to be. And while Abraham had one child, they had children, they had children, there's babies everywhere, and they had a nation. And it was like the stars innumerable, so many people. And listen to what it says. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. For the first time, a word is used. Never in human history had this word been used. This is the first time we see this word righteousness ever being used in human history. The words that were used up until then in human history were words like sin, wicked, evil. The human race had blown it. Since the creation of time, mankind had turned its back on God. And the description in the Bible leading up to this moment were things like sin, wickedness, evil. Descriptions of the human race turned in its rebellion against God. But here, for once, for the first time ever, a word is used that brings hope for humanity. And the word is righteousness. 
God credited to a human being. Righteousness, moral, right standing in the sight of God. He believed God and God elevated him to a high and lofty place. He raised him to a new place in morality. He restored moral innocence to this man, Abraham. Why? Because he was so good? Because he ticked so many boxes? Because he adhered to a religious code of commandments? No. He had faith. He believed God. And this faith caused God to connect with this man. You see, folks, you are not saved based on your goodness. If it was based on our goodness, we'd be condemned. We're corrupt. The sinful race is corrupt. That's the message of the Bible. We're saved when we have faith in a God who saves. And he causes us to be righteous. He causes us to be righteous. And then our changed behavior comes out of that new identity. We don't get the new identity by changing our behavior. Chicken and egg, egg and chicken, horse and cart, cart and horse. We believe God, we become righteous, and then we start living different as a result. Not that we always get it right, but that we're not trying to prove ourselves anymore. We're accepted and declared righteous by a holy God. That's amazing. The first time this word is ever used, a gift for humanity. Restored moral innocence. The word, the theological term for this moment is justification by faith. Abraham believed God and he was justified in the sight of God. He was made righteous. You want to understand the word justify? Well, let's break it down. Very simple. Just as if I never sinned. Justify. Just as if I never sinned. It's like you never did it. Oh, that's a good way out. Uh-huh, it is. It's like you never did it. What, all those things? It's like you never did it. I don't deserve that. I know. It's like you never did it. Righteous. Credited to you because you believe in a God who saves. That's incredible. That's mind-blowing. There was a man who, who bought a brand new Rolls Royce, and he was really chuffed with his Rolls Royce. And uh, this, this guy was so pleased, he decided he's going to enjoy this Rolls Royce and the open road and he was going to go into Europe and tour France and then go on the German Autobahn <clears throat> and uh, just enjoy his Rolls Royce. The, at the beginning of his tour, he was in France, the Rolls Royce broke down and he thought, this is terrible. It's a Rolls Royce, it can't break down. So he, he, phone, he gets on the phone and calls the Rolls Royce dealership where he bought the car and they said, where are you? And, they, and he told them exactly where he was and said, okay, we'll send a man to be with you. <laughs> what? Anyway, a few hours later, a helicopter arrives and this mechanic gets out, fixes the Rolls Royce, gets back in the helicopter, says, enjoy your holiday, and flies off. The guy thinks, wow, that was radical. So he enjoys the rest of his holiday and um, in the back of his mind, he's thinking, what will that cost me? (laughs) And he's kind of dreading getting home from his holiday, seeing this invoice from the Rolls Royce dealership. Anyway, so he's driving around, has the rest of his holiday, gets back, and there's no invoice. He waits a month, still no invoice. So he gets on the phone, and he phones Rolls-Royce and says, listen, um, I'm a wee bit concerned. You guys flew someone out to fix my Rolls-Royce, which had broken down in Europe, uh, and I'm a bit concerned. I haven't had an invoice for this. And the person at the end of the phone went away and said, let me check, what's your registration plate? And so on. She went away and checked, came back and said, there is no records 
or there ever have had a problem with a Rolls Royce. No record. And that's what it's like when you become a believer. They, in their prides, wanted a squeaky clean track record with Rolls Royce. But God in his love, when you have faith in God, the Bible says righteousness is credited to your account. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. And that should bring you huge hope. Psalm 103, 11 and 12 talks about this. It says, for high as the heavens are above the earth. How high is that incidentally? Anyone measured that recently? As high as the heavens are above the earth? Anyone tried to measure that? Do you think it's a mile? Okay, so we had a 100 mile long measuring tape. Would it be that? What, a 1,000 mile long measuring tape? Would any measuring tape possibly be able to measure that immeasurable distance? Absolutely not. As far as the heavens are above the earth. In other words, immeasurable. So great is his love and kindness towards those who fear him. You wonder, does God love you? Well, according to the Bible, his love towards you is immeasurable. Then it goes on to say, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, our blownness, our messed upness, our perversions, our crookedness, our corruptness, he's removed them from us as far as what? The north and south? Because I can measure that. No, no, no. It's not two defined points. It's the east and west. You can't measure that. It just keeps going. It goes off eternally. It's immeasurable. That's how far God has separated you from your transgressions. You're totally righteous. You have faith in God. The Bible says you have faith in God and you will be exalted, lifted up to a lofty place. You will receive restored moral innocence. You will experience righteousness in the sight of God. That is amazing. That is amazing. No other religion offers this. Every other religion offers you a list of do's, 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 and don'ts, 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 don'ts. But God says, those who have faith in me, I credit righteousness because no human being, even with their most moral living, could earn the standard of heaven. But it's yours as a gift by faith. Glad you're so enthusiastic about this revelation this evening. Anyway, Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare, but who you trust in the Lord will be exalted. Another example from the life of Jesus, Mark 2, 1 to 12, here's another example of someone just being given forgiveness and righteousness just simply by their faith. A few days later, Jesus again entered Capernaum and the, <clears throat> the people heard that he had come home and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, even outside the door. That's pretty, a lot of crowd, right? There wasn't even enough room outside the door. (laughs) Huge crowd. And it says, um, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them, since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd. And they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and they lowered the mat with the man lying on it. And then when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there. This is the religious Jews, the kind of narrow-minded religious Jews, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. No one could forgive sins but God alone. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit 
that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Why is it, is it, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Now, let me ask you that question. What is easier? Is it easier for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say to the man, get up, take your mat, and walk? Clever question. Jesus always asked clever, very clever questions. You think about it for a moment. Now, as a glib statement, it's easier to say your sins have forgiven you because you don't need to have any demonstration on the outside to prove that happens. However, morally speaking, to say your sins have forgiven you, that's claiming to be God. That's a major claim. Big question. Ooh, I love Jesus. He's brilliant, isn't he? Yay! Did it again. Look at this. Which did Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them. Not only healed, but forgiven. 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 This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. You bet they hadn't. That was amazing. But you know what would have affected them profoundly? Was just as extreme was the physical miracle, was even greater extreme was the fact that in a moment, a man went from being a sinner to being a righteous man just by simply a declaration from the Christ's mouth. It was just as dramatic even though it was unseen. You put your faith in God's, according to the Bible, it will be credited to you as righteousness. God, I believe that you sent Jesus. You died for me in that cross and you rose again. I'm righteous. Amazing. Forgiven forever. And why is this the case? In Romans 4, 24 to 25, it tells us technically why you become righteous. God will also count us righteous if we believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die for our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. The reason you can become righteous by putting your faith in him is this, is that Jesus took on your sin and he died on that cross and in exchange he gives you his righteousness. A divine exchange took place at the center of human history which covers the sins of mankind either side, thousands of years either side in mankind's history. When people put their faith in Jesus, salvation comes, forgiveness comes, righteousness is given. It is accredited to your account. You're totally forgiven and cleansed in the sight of a holy, righteous God. Martin Luther said this, learn to know Christ and him crucified. Learn to sing to him and say, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness and I am your sin. Because Jesus became your sin for you on the cross, folks. You have taken upon yourself what was mine and you've given me what is yours. You've become, sorry, you have become what you were not so that I might become what I was not. Bonner says it this way, faith is the acknowledgement of the entire absence of all goodness in us and the recognition of the cross as the substitute for all that went on on our part. The whole work is his, not ours, from first to last. I didn't save myself. I put my faith in a God who saves me and I was saved. So what are the ongoing results of this? I mean, that's the eternal results of this faith. 
But what are the ongoing results of this faith? <clears throat> Proverbs 20, 15, verse 8. You please God. The prayer of the upright is his delight. You are now upright. Why? Because you're so good? No, because you have faith. And according to the Bible, now as a believer, you're righteous in the sight of God. And when you come to pray to him, do you know what? He's very happy. The, your prayer is his delight. Now, how will that change your prayer life? Because often we pray like this. Oh, I'm a Christian. I've got to pray. And it's like a drudgery. How about realizing that your prayer is his delight? How about realizing that when you get to pray, God in heaven is chuffed. God is thrilled. Yes, it's Owen. Oh, God, Owen, tell me something. God. Yay, yeah, said it. That's my boy. Or something like that. Oh, and you can have this mental picture now. <laughs> Listen to this, Hebrews 11, verse 6. I mean, you're a blown away crowd tonight, I can tell. But this verse will get you. Listen to this. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. It's not just that you believe God's out there. It's that you believe God's out there and he's for you. He's a rewarder. But you know what the Bible says? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Let's flip that. With faith, you please him. You can as well wear a t-shirt saying, I please God. Now that would seem arrogant. Wearing a t-shirt that says, I please God. How could you say that? You think you're that good? No, 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 no. You've misunderstood. I think he's that good. And because of Jesus... I put my faith in him. And then my faith pleases God. Do you know when you believe? Do you know that in that moment you please God? And yet so often we're walking around with this cloud over our heads thinking, does God like me? Is God for me today? We're more aware of our failingness than we are of his success for us 2,000 years ago. We're more aware of our brokenness and our ongoing challenges with sin than we are with his incredible answer in Christ. And that actually our solution is not on our morality, but on his morality imputed to us. We have been restored moral innocence for past, present, and all future sins. Righteous in the sight of God. Now that, you know what, if you really understand that, it's not going to make you think, oh well, I may as well sin then, God will forgive me anyway. If you truly believe that, you'll think, I'm going to live grateful. I'm going to live grateful. I'm going to live a better life. I'm not going to live kind of living up now that I'm forgiven anyway. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say with everything within me, I'm going to live a life that somehow is a life of worship to God who would do this for me. I please God. Say after me, one, two, three, I please God. I please God. Let's say it again, make, make, it, make yourself happy. One, two, three. I please God. That's amazing. That is amazing. If you have faith in God, the Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please him. But with faith, it is possible to please him. And the prayer of the upright is his delight. He's delighted with you. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Think that thought, it'll make you happy. You know what else comes as a result of our faith? Intimacy in prayer. Proverbs fifteen twenty nine: The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. You, you never need to pray wondering, did God hear me? All you've got to do is narrow down the fact that you've become righteous in the sight of God. 
And then there's never, ever a question anymore, does God hear my prayer? Nail that one, and the rest is a done deal. Proverbs 3.32 says, For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. You know, we're not plugging religion. We're plugging a relationship. You can come to know the Creator, according to the Bible, intimately, closely, up close. Your prayer times are moments of communion with the eternal God who created everything, who's all-knowing, who's all-powerful, who's everywhere all at once. That's amazing. He is intimate with the upright. But I don't feel upright. Well, it's nothing to do with what you feel. You believe God, and it is credited to you as righteousness. Wow. Then also answered prayers are now yours. Proverbs 10, 24 says, What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. I love this one. You can now have a positive expectation in life because you're righteous in the sight of God. Proverbs 4, 18 says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That light of, you know, you're up at dawn. Uh, Okay, two assumptions here, right? First of all, you got up that early. I don't think so. And second thing is, there's sun in Scotland. Okay, yes. So if you can nail those two factors, you will understand this verse, right? If you get up early enough and you see that sun rise, that sun peaks over the horizon. Hey. And then as that, the hours proceed to the midday, that light gets brighter and brighter and brighter until it's scorching hot. It's in the full glory. Do you know what? That's the picture the Bible gives you of the path of the righteous person's life. What's your expectation for life? Is your expectation, it's going to get worse and worse. Well, are you righteous or not? Because if you're righteous by faith, then that does not need to be your expectation. The Bible says your life can get brighter and brighter. It doesn't say easier and easier necessarily. Because sometimes life gets tougher and tougher. Even when things are going well, things can be tough. It doesn't mean you're not going to have any challenges. It doesn't mean you're going to have a bed of roses. But it does say you're going to get brighter and brighter. It does mean your faith can get stronger and stronger. It does mean that you'll be more and more blessed. It does mean that you'll be more and more influential. It does mean that you'll proceed with the purpose of God, the bespoke purpose of God for your life. It does mean that church can get bigger and bigger. It does mean that the city can be more and more improved by us being in it. It does mean that we can just emanate the life of God more and more, more today than we did yesterday and more tomorrow than we did today. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It gets brighter and brighter until the full day. It's like a dimmer switch. You're switched on at the point of conversion and God's turning up the switch. Bing! Shining. Bright. Purpose of God in your life. Now, it's assuming you're on the path. The Bible doesn't say, it doesn't just say the righteous. It says the path of the righteous. Now, the fact is, while you could be righteous in the sight of God, you could be messing around and living dumb. And every time you do that, you hinder the purpose of God for your life. So make sure you're on the path. Not just that you're righteous in the sight of God, but you're doing your best to live like that as well. And the follow-on result will be the blessing of God brightness in your life. 
Charles Spurgeon said, little faith will bring the soul to heaven, but much faith will bring heaven to the soul. I believe that eternal life is given to those who believe in God, but I also believe abundant life is given to those who believe in God in this life. Not just that, oh yeah, one day I believed in God way back then and that was me saved and I'm now a Christian and I'm living a wonderful life. Not. You know, you're a dreary Christian taking over until one day you get to heaven and that will give us all a break from likes of you, (laughs) you dull individual. However, Jesus didn't come just to give you life. He came to give you an abundant life. Not just an existence, but an abundant life. A life infused by the power of God. A life where every day is an adventure with God. Again, not necessarily an easy life, not necessarily a bed of roses, but an abundant life. So I want to encourage you, live a life of faith, a life of adventure. Not just a life that believes God to get you to heaven, but a life that believes that heaven can invade your earth. Just as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, you will be done on earth just as it would be done in heaven. Living the life of God in the here and now and all that happens when we die is we transition into the eternity with God. And the eternal life is a result of our faith as well. It says in Proverbs 11:4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. By you believing God, you become righteous and in that moment of death, you will not perish eternally, but you will come into the presence of God eternally. Proverbs twelve twenty eight, In the way of the righteous is life, and in the pathway there is no death. Proverbs fourteen thirty two, In death the righteous have a refuge. William Shakespeare, in 1616, a month before he died, wrote in his will these words, He said, I commend my soul into the hands of God, my creator, hoping and assuredly believing through the the only merits of Jesus Christ, my Savior, to be made partaker of eternal life. In other words, not through my own merits, but through the merits of Jesus and my faith in him, I will have eternal life. I believe the dude's in heaven. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. Faith is the language of the heart. It's not hopefulness. It's not, well, maybe God's up there. Maybe God will hear my prayers. It's a knowing in your knower. It's a depth of grasp and assurance, a conviction of things unseen. It's a thing you could base your life on as solid as the ground you stand on, in fact, more solid. It's a conviction in the invisible God who is more real than even the physical world we see around us. A God who is eternal. And by us having faith in him and Jesus who he sent, the Bible teaches you become righteous and therefore you can have eternal life and an abundant, blessed life while you wait. There ends the book of Proverbs. And we're living a life of faith. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that in Genesis we find a word appears for the first time. And that word is righteous. And we're so glad that word appeared. Had it not appeared, we'd all be scuppered. Because God, there's no way we could have earned righteousness. 
But thank you, Jesus, you who were righteous, the only one who ever was and who ever maintained righteousness throughout life, that you died as our substitute on the cross. You became our sin so that we could become your righteousness. And as we believe in you, thank you, this gift is given to us. God, we believe in you. We trust in you. And we thank you as a result. We're saved eternally. Let's take a moment in God's presence just to respond to him. Some of you have been living with a cloud of great guilt and condemnation. And you're a believer. And yet you've been living so aware of your failings rather than his success. Some of you, before coming to Jesus, you lived a life of sin and messed upness. And then since coming to Jesus, you haven't fully grasped what it's about. And since then, you've been living a life of moralness. You've been trying to attain his, his forgiveness. But if you truly come to Jesus, you've been forgiven. And you can now live out of that forgiveness. Some of you have been very religious, trying to earn God's acceptance. And while some tonight maybe need to repent of their sins, maybe the religious among you need to repent of your religiousness. Because every time you try and earn God's favor, you're acting out of unbelief. You're not trusting that what Jesus did for you was sufficient. So you need to repent of that religious nonsense and trust in the God who saves completely. He either saves or he doesn't. And the Bible teaches he does. Some of you maybe want to come to God for the first time. Become a believer tonight. Not a hoper. Not an optimist. But an authentic believer. In a God who loved you that much to send his son to live a great life. To die a courageous death on your behalf. He died the death that we should have died. He paid the price that we should have paid. He gives us the reward that He should have had. He took our sin and He offers you His righteousness by faith in Him. And He rose and He's alive. And He's alive to save you. And He wants to be intimate with you and part of your life. You might be here tonight and you think, Peter, I don't understand all this. But in my heart, I believe God. And if that's you and you're saying, I want to be saved, I want to put my faith in Jesus, I want to experience his forgiveness, I want to have a new start. If that's you, I'm going to help you to do that just now. Very simply, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray a prayer. And I invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Let this be your prayer of commitment and faith in God. Pray this with me quietly under your breath. Repeat this after me. Pray, dear Lord God, I believe in you, God. 
I totally believe in you. I believe, God, that you came 2,000 years ago. And Jesus, I believe you lived a sinless life. And I believe you taught great things. And I believe you healed the sick and you raised the dead. And I believe you died for me on that cross. I believe you were my substitute. You were the sacrifice for me. And I believe because of that, I can be forgiven. And right now, I ask you for that forgiveness. And in this moment, I believe you have forgiven me and granted me your righteousness as a gift. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead in the third day. I believe you're alive, seated on a throne in heaven. And from this day forward, I dedicate my life to following you. Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I allow you to take up residence in my heart. Take the lead and I will follow. Thanks for hearing my prayer and for accepting me this evening. Okay, keep your eyes closed. If you, anyone prayed that prayer, you've just done a marvelous thing. God has heard your prayer. I'd love the privilege of praying for anyone who prayed that prayer. If you prayed that prayer and you really meant it, can you simply indicate to me you did that and I'll pray for you? Is there anyone like that? Just raise your hand quickly. You prayed that prayer. I'll just wait for a moment. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. Just simply where you are, if you prayed that prayer, pop your hand up and I'll pray for you. I'll wait for a moment. pray for these two friends tonight who in their heart before you have crossed the line they put their faith wholly in you their confidence is not that they can save themselves their confidence is in you God the Savior and thank you in this moment heaven rejoices the Bible says there is joy in heaven right now celebrating the transition that has just taken place in the depths of these people's beings. Thank you, God. Eternity is now theirs. Forgiveness is theirs and righteousness is theirs. Help them to walk with you now from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to worship God to end this service.